Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman, and today I'm talking to Lynn Louise, who freely admits that she used to use food and other substances as a coping mechanism for the trauma that she experienced when she was a teenager. But before we begin our chat, I'd like to invite you over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, to surf around, make the most of the free resources there, including what to eat that doesn't contain added sugars, how to find whole foods at the grocery store, and also all about gut health and making your own fermented foods and drinks. You can also download your simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar and also my five tips to help you with cravings. And you can join us in the After Sugar Club by clicking on the green button, Join the Club. That's on aftersugarclub.com. You can also come say hi on my Facebook page, Life After Sugar, and on my Instagram account at my life after sugar, which is where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, you know, basically how I live my life after sugar. All right, here's my chat with Lynn Louise. All right, tell me about your habits before. Oh, good God. They were, so habits change over time, right? Destructive habits, uh, like distracting habits. Um, So like I went from drugs and then alcohol and then to emotional eating and marathoning and uh, what was that you just said marathoning running okay okay I was just making sure it wasn't a term for for another type of drug (laughs) no and then um and the whole time, of course, I was marathoning. I was also, and I still marathon, but I was also emotionally eating. So it was like running to distract from feeling the feels. Oh, and then I get home and I'm like, I'm not going to go for another run. I'm going to distract by eating. And were you aware that that's what you were doing? Mm-mm. I mean, I was aware that I was emotionally eating because our culture has a clear and concise term for it so I would be like I'm gonna eat a bunch of Oreos and then I'm gonna eat a bunch of cookies I mean a bunch of chips salt savory salt savory right um so I was very much aware and our society has made it almost acceptable to be an emotionally emotional eater I did not know at the time that I was distracting from feeling the feelings in a very destructive way um, because it seems like what everyone was talking about was, oh, emotionally eating means you're laying in your feelings, right? Which is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 
I've had lots of destructive habits. That's just to name a few. And so, when did these start? How old were you when you started having these behaviors? 15. So literally I started uh, distracting from my feelings after I was sexually assaulted. That was the trigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I started trying to avoid things and that's like, I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't really drink in my teens, but that's when I started using drugs. And Was it to get away from the pain? Avoidance. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to a certain age, you're like, this is too destructive. I need to change my habits because um, then I stopped the drug use because it was like, that's just dangerous. And then took on drinking because it was more socially acceptable. So that's when I, I was probably... Oh God, 20, maybe 24 when I had my first glass of wine and I was, that's when I started, you know, drinking socially and it quickly turned into drinking for comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Which is understandable given what you went through. And then from there, it was like, oh my God, I'm destroying my life. I lost friends. I lost, you know, like, um, it was very destructive. And so I said, I can't do this anymore. And when I stopped that, I replaced it with the emotionally eat, emotional eating. But along the way, I was, uh, you know, shopping for immediate gratification. I was like, there were a lot of things in my life where I was looking for external circumstances to make me happy. Were you aware at that time that you were having these behaviors because of the sexual abuse that you lived through now? And did you, because I guess if you're not aware that that's the trigger, then you're not going to address it head on because you don't know that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. No. And I went through, I was in and out of therapy, um, but I always left feeling that's it. Like that's, that's all. Like I was never happy. And they basically told me that you just have to learn how to live with it. So what do you do? You comfort through habits, right? If I have to learn how to live with it, then this is how I'm going to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a bunch of bullshit because you can completely heal. And yeah, so that's my Dharma now is to help women let go of all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you do it well. <laughs> and because you've done it for yourself. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. Cause so long and we're, our society teaches us that therapy is the only answer, but really Therapy is the way to get you to a point where you should be able to take the journey on yourself. But what it does is it per perpetuates that relying on somebody else to try and help you. I mean, I've got nothing against uh, therapy, but if it gets you to a place of self-awareness, where, as you say, where you have the confidence and the power to look after yourself, then I think that's a win. I think the um, industry is changing quite a bit. I don't think in its current state, it would be able to be sustainable. I see a lot of uh, like psychologists and stuff starting to look at alternative ways to incorporate into their therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's very, I, those that are doing that are going to have success, but we're past that. And when you, when you finally sort of put your finger on the actual trigger of all your kind of self-destructive behaviors, is, is it okay if I call them that? 
Sure. Yeah. I call them destructive behaviors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when you actually said, wait a minute, it, here is the triggers when I was sexually abused at 15. How old were you then? When did I come to the realization? Yeah. Probably um, three to five years ago, I guess. And, and so that means in your 40s? Late 40s. <laughs> yeah. And so it took all that time. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not judging that. It took me into my late 40s as well. Yeah, it's and it's not that I wasn't doing the self-development around other things to get there, right? So um, by the time I realized that it was, so I call them d distracting behaviors because um, my last serious one was marathoning and emotionally eating, right? So a lot of people would say, oh, but marathoning, like running is good for you. And I'm like, sure, exercise is great for you, but not if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was at that point, I was marathon, I was, that that was my destructive or distracting habit. Um, but I was doing all the work. I really didn't realize the connection or the reality or the depth in which I was living from my external circumstances. From the outside looking in, you could say that marathoning is a healthy way to express yourself, let's say, but you're saying that you were doing it for unhealthy reasons, is that right? Yeah, so here's, here's the consensus. This is like the general consensus about runners. And I had a girlfriend quote me on that. Like I, she was talking to me after my accident and she said, Oh my gosh, Lynn, I'm so sorry to hear that you're unable to walk. I know how hard that must be for you as a runner, because I know runners rely on running for their mental health. Hmm. And right? she said that. She said this. And so I was, I replied to her, that's not who I am. I used to be someone who would, if you're running for air quote, your mental health, then you are distracting and avoiding feeling your feelings. Hmm. And therefore it is very unhealthy. And that's I, what we're doing? Oh yeah, definitely. And that's what probably 97% of the runners out there are doing. I had a really stressful day. I'm going to go for a run. Yeah, I used to do that too. Yeah, with jogging. I wasn't a marathoner by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I used to jog to get rid of anxiety, stress. Yeah. So what, right. So what you're doing is, is you are running to avoid feeling the feelings and you're trying to bypass them instead of allowing yourself to go, Oh, this is hard. This is difficult. I need to feel my way through it and then move on. And, and not only that, I don't know for you, but when I came back from my jog, I would congratulate myself with cookies. Yes. <laughs> for having so, run all those kilometers so the night I was sexually assaulted like that seemed to be the trigger for everything so the night I was sexually assaulted like my self-trust was taken from me my voice it was my logical brain was saying Lynn it's not your fault it's not your fault it's not your fault but my subconscious was like oh no 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 you were the one that got in the car the first place so you can't trust yourself anymore. Start letting other people make the decisions for you, which meant stop 
speaking about your dreams, your desires, what you want in life, where you want to go. And what happened thereafter was I would start distracting from feeling my feelings by these, by drug use, by, you know, as it materialized, like we spoke on. But at the same time, I was putting my future and in, into the hands of well-meaning counselors, teachers, whatever, whoever thought what was best for me to go through. So all this time, I'm making decisions based on what others think is best for me. Mm. I went to university. I worked my way up the corporate American ladder. I was, you know, an executive with a corner office from the outside everything looked great. I went for hikes. I went for, you know, sailing. I had some season tickets to the San Francisco symphony. I had a great boyfriend, an apartment that most people wouldn't be able to afford. Life looked great. But on the inside, behind the scenes, I was emotionally eating. I was drinking too much. I was living paycheck to paycheck because my money habits of compulsive spending, right? Trying to find external happiness or internal happiness through external solutions. And as that progressed and it deepened, I was overwhelmed, depressed. I felt alone. I didn't know, I, I felt like an imposter in my own life. And one afternoon I'm standing in my corner office, just I used to watch the fog roll in over the bay. And I felt like my world was collapsing around me. And I was standing there and this makes me giggle because I'm standing there at 29 years old thinking, oh my God, how did I get here? I've climbed the wrong mountain. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is somebody else's dream. This is somebody else's like idea of success. I came to earth to change people's lives, not change corporations. Mm -hmm. And I felt, uh, I was, I felt like this imposter, like, how did I get here? How am I going to maintain this? But even more deeper, how can I change it now? Cause I thought I'm so old. How can I change the momentum behind this? <laughs> and you were 29, right? Like I was so <laughs> young, but I had put all my life's effort into that decades and decades of effort. But I knew Lynn Louise, if nothing changes, nothing will change. Absolutely. And you can't maintain this. I'd been in and out of therapy. I had been suicidal. I had gone through all that. I, I was empty. I had disassociated from my own personal life. And so it was at that moment I realized it's not an option to go back into therapy. It's time to take your healing into your own hands. Amazing. Yeah. So I gave myself priority to put myself first, to figure out what it was going to take to finally heal. And I'm going to tell you, it took me, it was about a decade. I, I like spent tens of thousands of dollars and invested in all these mentors and went through all that process to figure out how to completely heal. And along the way is when I figured it out. I figured out that it was associated to my um, trauma. I figured out all these. It didn't just all come to me at once. Like yeah. I said, I just figured out that emotionally eating piece like five years ago. I get and that because that's kind of like the last place you would look because it's so socially accepted and even encouraged. We don't realize that it's covering up anything. It's just, it's just normal. 
right? And and when you do realize, like we think about Bridget Jones' diary, mm. that was a comedy designed around a very serious issue. Mm-hmm. And we can all laugh and think it's like romance, but that movie was a red flag for me. Oh, really? Right? You're like, why is society thinking this is okay or this is funny? It's a way to keep women trapped and looking weak. The women I work with were strong, independent, free thinking women. We consider ourselves strong, not victims but we're stressed out, we're struggling, we're like living in the cycle that is not ours and we don't wanna own it. And, you know, that's my whole dharma is getting you past that, completely healing, let go of it so that you can step really deep into your higher purpose, the reason you came here. And And so that you don't need that kind of like cookies as a crutch. Never. And the thing is, is that you can delight in these aspects. Like my husband is a chef. So, and he's a professional chocolatier. Wow. But you also know that processed sugar is poison. It literally is poison for your body. But there's no problem indulging in one of his chocolates from time to time. And the beauty of being able to determine what that means to you. This life is not all or nothing. We get to set our own standards. And we each have our own standards and and our own limits. And it's being able to recognize them and respect them. And yeah, so. Stop comparing ourselves to others, right? Like stop saying, oh, this is how Netta eats. So therefore that's how I'm supposed to eat. I, I just, I keep having to repeat this. Please don't be like me. Please be like you. <laughs> yes, very much so. We get to determine what makes us happy because ultimately that's why we're on earth. Yes, absolutely. And so you got to a place where, are you in a place now where you choose freely what you eat, for example? Yes, very much so. So during that um during that time when I was emotionally eating and marathoning for the wrong reasons, I was very much a calorie counter, marking every calorie in, every calorie out. And that's no way to live. It is diets don't work. You and I know that. Um, So completely healing and being able to process my emotions and teach women how to do that. Once you, once you let go of that past trauma, the ultimate goal here is to have 100% self-acceptance, to love yourself 100% unconditionally. And with that comes that learning experience of, oh, that didn't feel good. Making those adjustments, pivoting, knowing I don't want to do that again. I don't want to have that much sugar, or I don't want to have that much alcohol, or you know, I don't want to run that far or I want to run, you know, I want to run more or whatever is being able to come back into your body, attached to that feeling again, because when we are looking for external solutions to our happiness, most of the time, what we've done is we've unplugged from our own body. We don't understand it anymore. We don't want to feel it. And we don't have this relationship to Oh, that's what it feels like when I put this into my body. Yeah. Yes. And we're kind of disconnected 
with our own body. And which is why I, I often feel that it's such um, a, like a contradictory message that we get of, well, have sugar as a treat. And for so many of us, it's actually not at all a treat. It's the complete opposite. And then if you do take away the sugar, like, like I've done, for example, then you get the message of, oh, you got to treat yourself every now and again. And I'm like, but I am treating myself all the time. I'm just not eating sugar to do it. Exactly. And it's not about treating yourself isn't about food all the time, right? right. Like um, I don't do processed sugar. Like that's... Even my husband, uh, when he he is baking or whatever, we are very conscious about the products in which we put into our body. And the good thing is, is one little piece of chocolate doesn't have any sugar in it. It's cacao, right? So um, it. I very much, I live with a chef that is like a fine dining chef. So for us, it's always been a little bit just enough you know it can be just a little bit of cocktail it's finding that connection between how does it make you feel physically how does it make you feel emotionally letting go and like stepping into your personal power and determining it because you and i both know processed sugar is poison and there is no way it ever makes you feel good and having sort of the uh how shall i say this having like the accepted message from nutrition experts that is repeated over and over of, of you've got to treat yourself every now and again and and that is synonymous with sugar for them mm. I just find that that is just that in itself is a destructive message because it mm. negates the reality that so many of us live with which is that processed sugar is actually more doing us more harm than good and it's also this and this is why diets don't work it also comes back to that mentality that this is an either or situation which it's not every day we have choices and it's also saying that if you overindulge in it you've made a mistake you're a failure and that's incorrect that is not a way to view this process it is a way to, I always like to say, those of us that are entrepreneurs say beta test, which is just like throwing something out there, seeing what lands, what works, what doesn't. Life is a beta test. You figure out what worked for you and what didn't work. And then you move in the direction of what's working. And nobody is perfect and you don't want to try and be perfect. And I can say like, I've I've had to make determinations where it's like, oh, you know, even recently, oh, that didn't feel good. I'm going to have to pivot and move in a different direction. Every single day, you have these experiences. Why are women taught to judge themselves so strongly on what we put in our mouth? Absolutely. Yes. And, and I totally agree with you. And I I agree with you as well about this whole thing about being perfect and very often I see people women and men that stop themselves from going forward because they think but what if I fail what if I don't do it perfectly and I'm thinking who is asking you to be perfect everything they've been taught society yeah. dieting culture it it drives me crazy a lot of women that I work with 
um, come to me with chronic illnesses and challenges because they've disattached and, and trauma shows up in your body very clearly by avoidance. And they've been taught the only way to do it is through willpower. Like you got to willpower your way through it. And willpower is finite and it never works. Now it will let you down a hundred percent. If that's what you're relying on, it will let you down. Yeah. And dieting culture is designed to keep you coming back to it. It's a failed strategy in that $7 billion industry. No, $88 billion, sorry. $88 billion industry is designed to keep those uh, shareholders happy. And that's the reality of it. Yep. Um, And it's destructive. As far as I can tell, it is actually causing more harm than good. Very definitely. In and of itself. And stepping out of that diet culture, for me at least, and and I guess for you as well, has been so freeing, so liberating. Yeah, I was thinking today about um, putting away the scales, right? Because I, I recently was in an accident that I haven't been able to walk for six months. So my body changed dramatically. I haven't been on a scale in decades. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think about it, how many women I work with. And the first thing I'm, I tell them is get rid of the scale because you're identifying as that number and you are not that number. It is not you. Absolutely. And recently I had um, a a couple of my members say to me, um, I'm scared to take away the scale because that will mean that I'll put on weight. And I try to, to, you know, make this explicit where putting away the scale, that act of putting away the scale will not in and of itself make you put on weight because it's what, you know, it's, it's got nothing to do with what you actually eat, but that connection that they make, if I don't know how much I weigh, how will I be able to like break my weight gain? That's the connection that is made. I used to make that connection as well. And think about the anxieties alone that come from stepping on that scale for women. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and how much you and I both know when you are anxious, when you are living in fight or flight, which most people are, the chemicals and cortisols and everything that are released in your body to keep you right where you are. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yes. And, but I can, I mean, you understand that fear of letting go of the scale and not having any kind of concrete measure of what's going on with your weight and, yeah. and not changing your, your, what you're eating. <laughs> you know, it's, what, it it's has, what you eat that's going to make the difference in your weight, not putting away the scale. I know. I, I would tell clients you need to go put it in your trunk of your car and then if you want you can bring it out a month from now but most of them forget about it because in our work together it's about loving and accepting yourself right where you are and where you're going and the ultimate goal is happiness and this is what I tell people I'm like is it that hundred pound woman what is it about I mean, a hundred pounds less or, you know, 60 or whatever that number is. It's not the number on that scale that you're looking for. It is the self-acceptance and joy. So if your weight could never change, if you never changed it ever, but you could love yourself 100% right now, accept yourself and have a joyful life. Would you choose that? 
Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I can tell you that at my skinniest, when I was 100 pounds as an adult, I was the least healthy. So, and, and you know, and as you say, feeling happy and being comfortable with yourself and confident and everything else, that has nothing to do with your external weight. And even if we still put that connection between, well, if I just weighed fill in the blanks, number of pounds less, then I would be happy. Even that is a connection that, is, that it's, it's a broken connection. Right. So that's working from have, do, be. And that's a broken model, but this is where most women operate from. And that means if I just have the body that I desire, then I will be able to do the things that I love to do. And I'll be able to be the woman that I've always dreamed of. But this is operating from a broken model. And really the way we create the genesis of creating is first being. So the way to get and create the life of your dreams is first through being, mean, meaning what is that woman, that future you that you desire to be, what are the characteristics does she have? How does she live? What is she? And so you look at her and then you say, okay, I'm going to be that woman right now. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be integral. I'm going to, you know, be boisterous, whatever it is that you see that future you being. And then you start doing the things that that woman would do right now. Of and which taking care of yourself. By right. Your the doing behavior, right? Yeah. And then you will have the life of your dreams. So you're creating from who you are being first. That's yeah. what you have to have. That's what has to happen because you will never be that woman if first you are not her. Yeah. So a lot of women I work with, like this is, this is something that I coach on in my, um, in my 10X rapid recovery method is that you have to switch that paradigm because if you are always coming, coming at it as when I'm that woman, I'll be able to go on hikes with my husband, or I'll be able to spend more time with my children on the floor or whatever it is that you desire, you must first be her now. Hmm. and then start getting into action. So I'm just going to use a quick example. Um, there was a point in which I was looking at what I wanted in my life and I wanted to walk with my, go for dog walks and go on hikes with my husband more and us laugh together and spend more quality time together. And instead of going, okay, well then I'm, I need to, I need to have that first in order to do it. No, I needed to be the woman that was putting that as a priority in my life, staying committed to it, making it, you know, something that is present so that I would do those things. I would go for walks. I would spend more time laughing. I would start, you know, spending more time on date nights, whatever. And then right then and there, I had the relationship with my husband that I wanted right yeah that's fantastic and and you know sometimes we want things to change right now I call that the Tylenol effect we want it in 20 minutes <laughs> yes, it yes. it's the it's the I call it the Amazon prime it's <laughs> like if I don't have it by three o'clock today then I'm just going to give up yeah but, it's a fantastic way to self-sabotage 
transformation, complete transformation is not a little bit, a, a little better, a little more, a little different. Complete transformation means completely transforming and making that commitment to transform really means allowing yourself to be patient and understand and figure stuff out along the way. You cannot. Yeah. And not doing it perfectly. You won't do it perfectly. None of us does. Mm -mm. No, mm. I'm the farthest thing from perfect. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you want and to I be love perfect. you for it. Yeah, and I love myself for it. Yeah. yeah. And I teach my daughter not to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that I really, uh, the one thing I really like to point out to women is, do you want to create the same struggles that you had in your life with your children? Because they are watching and they are learning. Yeah. And we don't want to lay that on this next generation. Yeah. We want them to experience something different. And when you have had trauma, you definitely don't want those limiting beliefs, that inner snarky critic that is keeping you trapped. You don't want to teach her to your daughters or sons. Absolutely. You want to get rid of her so that you can teach them how to really li live that confident creator that they came here to be. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you, Linda. That's fantastic. You're so inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, that, this is going to be an epic um, podcast episode. You're just, just so easy to, you make it easy just for someone to, to see this actually come true for them. Yeah, you know, our dharma in this life is to expand, like our personal expansion, I always say. And then like our higher purpose is kind of like what our higher self came here to do as a hobby to help others heal, grow and evolve. Like all of us are here for a reason. We fought to get here. We're here to transform lives. And my objective, my higher purpose in this life is to really give people hope and understand that total and complete healing is possible in order for you to really step into that hobby, your job, whatever you want to call it, create that financial success around the lessons that you came to teach others. So like with you, you came here to teach people the ability to step into their full knowing of who they are through releasing sugar from their diet and the importance of that. That is a very important higher purpose to have in this life because our culture has taught us how to poison ourselves through the food that we eat. My higher purpose is to give people hope and then give them the ability to make that step into their transformation by working with me in order to help them let go of all that past experience. I can't not do it. It's yeah. what lights me up. You're called to it. Yeah, exactly. I know it's the exact same feeling. I can't not do it. No. Yeah. Anyone that wants to friend me on Facebook or whatever, just feel free. Like uh, my, I'm always accepting friends. You can follow me. You can reach out. I always am there for anybody in need, like join my Facebook group, whatever. Um, it is who I am. I'm open to any and all conversations with women and men alike. Thank you. Thank you very much. Love sure. it. Thank you.
Isn't it incredible how we each have our own reasons for consuming and, well, using sugar, food or any other type of addictive substance or activity so that we don't have to face our feelings? I mean, I used to do that for the first 45 years of my life. I didn't even know there was another way to cope with feelings or any other way to be when I was exhausted or stressed or bored or angry or whatever. And it's great to know that people like Lynn Louise are well-versed in the intricacies of human emotions and, well, let's face it, for most of us, our real difficulty in coping with them. And this is also part of the approach of life after sugar because we look at what's behind your cravings and get to the heart of the matter. And you know, some people can do it alone, but most of us need some help, some support, and especially accountability to really break free from sugar. And this is what the After Sugar Club is all about. It's a close-knit, supportive community of like-minded people just like you who are on the path to really breaking free from sugar so that they don't need it or want it anymore. And that's real freedom. Check out the After Sugar Club on aftersugarclub.com and press on the green button, join the club. And if you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and write a review to let me know how the podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.